0: This book, of 1 Corinthians, is actually, as a reminder, it is a long letter. It's a long letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Corinth, which was in modern-day Greece around the year 55. And we've been studying this letter together for a long time, off and on, for the past two years. And tonight, our text, as Jason read, is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 6 through 19. And this section is part of a four-chapter section that began all the way back in chapter 11, where Paul is totally focused on correcting the Corinthians' behavior in public worship. So that's everything that he's been doing in these four chapters. He has had instruction for the Corinthians about head coverings and communion and ministry. And in chapter 14, Paul is correcting the Corinthians practice of tongues. What are tongues? Well, tongues is shorthand for the extraordinary spiritual gift of tongues. And it was the ability to speak a message from God and to speak that message from God in a language that you had never studied. But here was the problem in Corinth. The Christians in Corinth, they misunderstood and they misused the gift. And so Paul, here in chapter 14, he is writing this corrective chapter. There is obviously a lot of context that we simply do not know today. None of us were actually there. We didn't see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears exactly what was taking place in Corinth. So we have to take what Paul had to say to them and then to try as best we can. And it's a difficult thing to do to piece together what was actually taking place that was problematic to where Paul felt he needed to address it. It's a tough task, which is why Christians for 2,000 years have gone back and forth trying to discern what was actually happening and what Paul had to say about it. So this is one of those texts where if I felt like I had the freedom to pick and choose what I preached, I'm sure I would at least be tempted to skip this chapter. At least to say to myself, I'll get to it at another time and that other time would never come. So it's good for me to remind myself of texts like 2 Timothy 3.16. Some of you know that verse. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That includes 1 Corinthians 14. This has been breathed out by God. It is here not just for the Corinthians then, but it is here for us Christians now. So at the very least, while we might not practically and directly relate to what was going on in Corinth, there are powerful principles that are absolutely essential for us to understand today. That's what we'll try to do. As always, and especially with texts like this, we need to ask God to help us. So will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this text. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write it. We know that when you had him write this to the Corinthians, that it would be something that we would need to hear today. So it wasn't by accident. It was according to your plan. So help us today, first of all, help us to really understand what Paul was thinking, what Paul was saying to the Corinthians then. And then would you help us to apply it to our own lives today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When we come together on a Sunday, whether it's in the morning or evening, in a building, on a baseball field, there is always, there is a vertical aspect to what we do, and there is a horizontal aspect to what we do. We are doing something here toward God and we are doing something toward one another. As I drive here, I should be aware that when I'm here, I have a responsibility to God and I have a responsibility to all of you here. Or we could put it this way. We gather on Sundays For the glory of God and the good of his people. Something vertical is happening, something upward is happening, something outward, something horizontal is happening when we gather. We're here to worship, absolutely, but we are also here to build up this local church. Same thing for the Corinthians. That's not a new thing. Same thing for them. As they gathered publicly for worship on Sundays, they had a sacred duty to God and they had a sacred duty to one another. And it seems to me, based on Paul's criticism, they were doing okay vertically, but not horizontally. They were doing okay upward toward God. They were worshiping God. They weren't doing so well outwardly. They were not building one another up. If you just look for that and read through his letter, you find it over and over and over again. Now, one of the ways that they were not building one another up was through their misunderstanding and misuse of this gift of tongues. And it was a gift from God. It was a gift that was, that was meant for the church to be built up. Its purpose was that the church would be built up as men and women spoke truth, from god in miraculous ways in languages that they had not studied but some corinthians at least some of the corinthians that were claiming this spiritual gift of tongues they were in a worship service and they were shouting out words that no one understood Maybe some of you have been a part of a church or you've visited a church where they practice tongues in this way. And maybe you heard a lot of words being shouted out and you had no idea what was being said. Well, here's the problem. It's a very basic problem that Paul is going to point out. No one is encouraged, built up, or comforted by words they don't understand. Isn't that basic? You should not have to write that down right now. That's pretty basic, isn't it? No one is encouraged, built up, or comforted by words that they don't understand. And so the point Paul makes here is the same point he made way back at the very beginning of this discussion on spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, verse 7, he wrote, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Or another way of saying that, To each is given a gift of the Spirit. Why? Do you remember what it said? For the common good. The gift isn't for me. It's not for me and God. It is for me and God's people. It is for the common good. In the very next verses, in chapter 12, he lists some spiritual gifts, including the gift of tongues, for the common good. In our text today, in verse 12, Paul writes, Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building up the church. And then at the conclusion of this section, in this chapter, verse 26, Paul says, Let all things be done for building up. I don't see how Paul could be any more clear. He is being very clear by saying the same thing over and over again. These gifts, including tongues, are to build others up. It's for the common good. The church cannot be built up by something they don't understand. The church cannot be built up by words they don't understand. So what should they do? At the end of the day, what is Paul's counsel for the way the Corinthians were practicing tongues in Corinth? And his instruction is, stop. Cut it out. Don't do what you are doing. You're misunderstanding and misusing this gift. So stop. Because in order for the various elements of a worship service, think about all that we do here on a Sunday, in order for all the pieces, in order for all the various elements of a worship service to build up the church, they all must be at the very least intelligible, understandable, So let me summarize the main point here as I understand it, and then we'll get to these really difficult verses. Let me give you the long version and the short version, but here's a summary. The gift of tongues, if it is exercised without interpretation or translation, we'll see what that means, was unintelligible, and so it helped no one, and it was therefore useless for the common good. That's the point that Paul is making uninterpreted tongues is not helpful for the church. It is not for the common good. It does not build people up. So let's go through these verses. The plan is to look at them in four groups. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9, then verses 10 through 12, verses 13 through 17, and 18 and 19. As I read through them, I think they're grouped together most easily that way. Let's jump right in. Look with me at verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, that is, pause, he means uninterpreted tongues. So not speaking this language that people understand or someone understands and interprets because they're from the region where this language is native. He's saying, if I speak in uninterpreted tongues, and we know that's what he's talking about because of the verse right before. In verse 5, he said, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So if you've got tongues... And there's interpretation, and so it's intelligible, and it's understandable, then the church is built up. No problem with that, verse 5. But verse 6, he's talking about uninterpreted. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? You see what it's about? The common good. How will I benefit you? Unless I bring some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy... Or teaching. In other words, even if Paul came and spoke in tongues, and Paul will see, he was given this gift. He was able to speak in tongues. But Paul is saying here, listen, even if I came and spoke in tongues to you, what good would it do for you if? there was not some sort of understandable revelation from God or prophecy or knowledge or teaching. If there wasn't some revelation from God that you could understand, what good would that be to you? It's like, and then he gives two illustrations. Verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 7. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp Do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? No distinct noises. It's just noise. It's not pleasant. It's not good. It's not helpful. It's just noise. Verse 8. If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So the bugle was used as an instrument to give instructions and depending on what sound or groups of sounds you played with the bugle, it would mean different instructions, different sounds, different instructions. If no distinct sound, then no understanding, in this case, that it would be time for battle. Someone speaking in tongues Paul is saying in Corinth, in this way, they were like a lifeless instrument. That's the illustration. They were like an indistinct sound from a bugle. No one understood them. No one understood them, and so it was useless. It was useless for the common good. And that's exactly what Paul says in the next verse. Isn't it? Verse 9. So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible. You hear that over and over again. If you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. What kind of an image is that? Your words are not landing in anyone's ears. They're not landing in anyone's mind. They're not landing in anyone's heart. Your words are just going out and they're just floating out there into the air. It is not building anyone up. Let's look at the next group of verses, 10 through 12. That was probably... Causing some people to be offended in Corinth when Paul talks like that. I mean, wouldn't it? This is something that was going on. They obviously thought it was important. They thought it was good. And he says, when you do that, you're just speaking into the air. Imagine you were one of those tongue speakers in Corinth. He said, I would never do that. Well, just imagine. Imagine that you were caught up in this and that you were one of those tongue speakers in Corinth. Imagine that you believed that God had gifted you to speak truth in a language that you had not studied, and you felt it coming on, and you spoke it. And Paul says that you may just be speaking into the air. Well, someone might raise an objection And I think Paul's going to anticipate and respond to it in the next verses. They might have a rebuttal. It's one that I've actually heard. It goes like this. Well, just because no one is here, this person who's speaking in tongues, just because no one is here to translate or interpret, that's not fair. That doesn't mean that this is not a true manifestation of the spirit you can't say that it's not I may still be speaking in tongues maybe I'm speaking in a language maybe I'm speaking in a prayer language that no one other than God or angels understands now I do think that's an objection that Paul is anticipating he anticipates it, and then he uses these next three verses to simply remind the, like if you think that, if you believe that, to remind them of what the purpose of these spiritual gifts, including tongues, is. So, okay, let's say that that's what you believe, that no one's interpreting, no one's understanding. It's between me and God in this worship service, And it really is from God. And Paul says, okay, I understand that's where you're coming from. But let me remind you of what spiritual gifts are for. And then see if your understanding of what's going on fits this clear, God-given purpose. So look at verses 10 through 12. We're going to see that spiritual gifts are not to be exercised solely between you and God. They are for building up the church. We looked at that way back in chapter 12. The gifts, abilities, talents to expand that that God has given you, they are from God and they are for others. Verse 10. There are doubtless many languages in the world and none is without meaning. But If I do not know the meaning of the language, like I'm sitting here in your church service, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. There's no communication. There's no good. There's no use. There's no being built up. So with yourselves. Verse 12, since you are eager... For manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in this. Not just being spiritual. Strive to excel in what? What does he say? In building up the church. Speaking into the air does not build up the church. Speaking in a way where we're foreigners to one another and we don't understand each other, that does not build up the church. The goal of the gifts... All the way back in chapter 12, verse 7, is to build up the church. So you see, he's giving, them, he's giving them truth to evaluate what it is that they're doing. He's saying, take this truth, the purpose of these gifts, including tongues, and lay it over what you're doing. And look through this understanding at what it is that you're doing. Put these glasses on and consider what's happening. Is the church being built up? If it's not, no matter what it was, Paul would say, let's stop. So for their practice of tongues in Corinth, Paul's writing... He's responding. He's saying this is not helpful. This is not for the common good. So let's look at this last paragraph now. And first, verses 13 through 17. Now you remember when I said at the beginning that We're missing some context. We don't always know exactly what Paul is responding to, and so it can be difficult. I think the verses we just looked at are more clear than the verses we're about to look at. This is trickier. I think you're going to see that. I'll do my best. It begins with the word therefore, which means that these words... Are a conclusion based on the verses before. He said all this, therefore, and now he's going to say this. So we could summarize the verses we just read by saying uninterpreted tongues were of no benefit to the Corinthians. Uninterpreted tongues, that's what was happening, were of no benefit to the Corinthians. Therefore, verse 13, One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, he's going to use speaking in a tongue. If you kind of scan these verses, you'll see. He's going to use speaking in a tongue and praying in a tongue and praying praising in a tongue, and giving thanks in a tongue synonymously. He's going to use those phrases to describe the same thing. He means something like standing up in a worship service, because it's all about the public gathering, standing up in a worship service and speaking or praying or praising or giving thanks in a language that you have not studied. So there's different forms that it could take, but that's, he's just using all those to describe the same public speaking. And in verses 13 through 14, he says it would be good for you, not just for others, if you, the speaker, could understand what you were saying. Otherwise, your mind is unfruitful. And that, of course, is a bad thing. If you're saying something and you don't understand what you're saying, we've already established it's not good for others. And your mind is unfruitful. That is not a good thing. An unfruitful mind, an unthinking mind, a mind that is detached, a mind that does not comprehend or understand is never seen as a good thing in God's word. So this would not be a good thing. So, so far, Paul is saying the same kind of thing. These these gifts are for the common good, including you, the one who's speaking. What am I to do? Verse 15. Paul spoke in tongues. Here's what he did I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. It's not detached, it's not an unfruitful mind. I know what I'm saying. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So when Paul exercised this gift, not only did others understand, but he understood as well. It was for everyone's good. It was for the common good. Verse 16, otherwise, in other words, if someone speaks in tongues and they didn't understand and no one else understood, otherwise, he's going to be back to his point again. If you give thanks with your spirit, he means and not your mind. If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? when he does not know what you are saying. There it is again. It's so important that it's intelligible that people understand. Verse 17, For you may be giving thanks well enough. Fine. You may be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. And what's the parenthesis in Paul's mind? That's a problem. That's a problem because what you do with these gifts from God is build others up. Paul is really driving this point home. And he drives it home emphatically in the last two verses that we're looking at tonight here is, I think, a very clear conclusion to what Paul has been saying. Verse 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm not sure what Paul means. He's thankful for this gift, it sounds like to me. But what exactly he means, what he's talking about, how it connects, I'm not sure. And I couldn't find many people dead or alive this last week who understood what he meant. So I feel like I'm in good company. But I'm not there yet. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I think he's been hammering this gift I think he's trying to emphasize, hey, it is a real gift when it's done in the right way. God has used me in this way. I thank God for it. Nevertheless, and now he's back to his point. Nevertheless, in church, that's what it's all about. This is all about the public worship, public gathering of the church. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What a powerful way to make his point. Rather than read 10,000 words even miraculously given to me but have it bring about confusion like it is in your church, I'd rather just have five words that you understand for instruction. I want to know, by the way, what those five words would be. Paul, if you only have five words, what word those words be. That's not his point. Here's his point. And, and this is great because every Christian should be able to agree on this. Whatever you believe about spiritual gifts, here is Paul's point. In order for words spoken, at a gathering of God's people, like my words, like Jason's words, Charity's words. These words, in order for words spoken or sung at a gathering of God's people to build them up, they need to be intelligible. It is how God has made you. 10,000 words in a foreign language that are understood by many who understand the language or even by all. If there was an interpreter, that would be amazing. But even better would be five clear words of truth spoken intelligibly because no one is encouraged, built up, or comforted by words they don't understand people need to understand what is being said in conclusion for just a couple minutes let's consider how this applies to us here's what paul has said to the corinthians in the verses we just studied and it does not apply to us in the same way We are not a church that practices tongues like the Corinthians. But Paul's point to them was this gift of tongues, and this would be for many churches today, a good word. This gift of tongues, if it is exercised in that way without interpretation or translation, it's unintelligible it helps no one, and it is therefore useless for the common good. I mean, more succinctly, uninterpreted tongues are of no benefit to the Corinthians or to Christians, period. Well, we don't practice tongues here. As I've said in sermons before, we believe this was a revelatory gift as God was still revealing His Word. And by the end of the first century, this gift, along with the gift of prophecy, disappeared. So how do we apply this? Well, here is how this principle applies to our church. In the same way, unintelligible words are of no benefit to us. Or let me say that positively. Clear communication of God's truth builds up the church. Clear communication of God's truth builds up the church. Clarity of truth. This makes me think back to the founding and planting of this church. Those of you who are here, What are we going to name the church? What did we name the church? Veritas. What does veritas mean? It means truth. Clarity of truth is essential for building up the church. You can get everything else right. You get that wrong. It's useless. Isn't that the principle that Paul understands that is driving his critique of unintelligible tongues. Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I pray that Whatever comes through in a public worship service here, the truth comes through loud and clear. Our speakers should prepare. Our service leaders should prepare. Our music leaders should prepare so that what we do will be accessible and intelligible to you so that God's truth will come to you. And by His grace, you will understand and be changed. So may we be a church. And may you be a Christian. That looks to clearly communicate God's truth in order that the church may be built up. And of all the truth you communicate. You know, the most important truth you communicate is the good news. It is the gospel. It is being clear on one thing more than anything else, and that is that you are a sinner. That you have been created and made by God for him, to love him, to worship him, to obey him, to honor him. That is what you have been made for. It is what he deserves. And you, like me, you fail. You've been failing since you were born, haven't you? And you fall, and you fall, and you fall, and you screw up, and you screw up, and you screw up. And you don't do what God wants you to do, and you do what God does not want you to do. And so you, like me, you are under this judgment from God. He's good, he's holy, he's perfect, he's made you, he's given you everything. And yet we do not give him what he deserves. And so we are rightly destined to not spend eternity with Him in a perfect heaven. We are rightly destined to spend eternity alienated from Him. But God is merciful. And God sent His only Son, Jesus, and He came, and He lived, and He suffered. And he died and he rose from the dead. And he did that in the place of sinners like you and me. So that sinners like you and me could trust in his work and his life and his death. And be reconciled to God. That is the truth we have to get right. And that is the truth we have to work to clearly communicate outside these walls and, of course, inside these walls. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is what we read each week before we take communion together. I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you don't know how we do communion here, maybe you're visiting. You're welcome to join us as long as you're a Christian. You're committed to Christ and his people. You're a part of this church or another church that faithfully proclaims the gospel you've heard tonight. I'll pray and we'll have leaders who will come to you. If you want to receive communion, would you stand? And then when we give you the bread and the juice, will you sit down so we know you've been served? And then wait and we'll take it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this night. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the truth that you have entrusted to us. And now God, help us to clearly communicate that truth to our own souls, to our families, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our church. May we be truth tellers. And may it be intelligible. May it be clear for your glory and the good of others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.